Gentles and armagers, ladies and lords, and all those who make their own definitions, I'm your host, Baron Andreas, and welcome back to this newest episode of the MK Storycast. Sometimes we have songs, sometimes we'll have interviews. Mostly, though, our focus will be Mid-Realm and SCA history stories, usually told by the people who were there at the time. Think you might have a story to tell? At the end of each episode, we talk about how to reach out to us to schedule a recording session. This episode, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to have two stories from friends, but half of the episode we devoted to three poems from Count Jahan, who is the founding baron of Middle Marches and who attended the MK 50-year celebration back in May. The recordings, made by Viscountess Elishava Basriva from the North Shield, are a little noisy, but I think they're really special, so I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. So we'll have stories and poems today from Jahan, as well as a story by Duke Ilyahu, and Mistress Amelie Danjou, and my good friend, the Honorable Lord Oswin Swan, even if he is a Saxon. We start off with the first poem from Jahan, a drapa in honor of Torvald the Grim, the first Baron of Northwoods who made Jahan a pair of leather armbands. Then we'll have a story from Mistress Amelie Danjou, one of those wonderful moments we all have every once in a while in the SCA, where the mundane world drops away and we feel like we're in the Middle Ages. Coming to this event, I searched my mind, what's left of it, for the poems that I wrote in the Middle Kingdom in its earliest days. And there were three which I recalled, which I swore to myself I would come to three successive bardics at this event and perform. And this is the first one. I'm performing them, if I'm spared for the next two days, I'm performing them in the order in which they were composed. Now, the first one is a poem I wrote uh, in honor and thanks to Baron Sir Torvald the Grimm, the first Baron of Northwoods, um, for making me a pair of leather armbands which he made with the assistance of the Guild of Exotic Dancers of Northwoods for reasons which I will reveal tomorrow night if I am spared. Uh, but uh, he being of a Norse persuasion, I set myself to write a drapa, which is a Norse praise poem. Unfortunately, as those who really know drapa will understand, at the time, I had only the vaguest idea of how it worked. So, I uh, truly no drop. I apologize in advance. I got the alliteration wrong, and it's much shorter than it should be, and so on. But uh, the um, way this works, keeping it simple, is uh, there are a series of verses, each of which is linked by a refrain, and uh, each verse has a telling of a piece of Norse legendary or Germanic legendary history or myth which refers allusively to the uh, event being praised. Now, you must understand that in order to create these armbands, which they wish to keep secret from me, 
the ladies of the Guild of Exotic Dancers blindfolded me and led me into a room where what it felt like they were doing was tying up my wrists. They were actually, they were actually taking the measurements of my arms for the uh, um, leather armbands, but I didn't realize that at the time. So, when I... Um, composed this poem, I chose three episodes from Norse uh, Germanic legendary history and myth, which all referred to persons who were prisoners, but for some grim, as usually in Germanic myth, uh, reason were happy about it. <laughs> and so the first verse refers to Hagen at the end of the Nibelungenlied. For those of you who are familiar with that story, he and King Gunther had been captured. Uh, Krimheld wants to know where the treasure of the Nibelungen is hidden. At that point, Gunther and Hagen are the only living men who know that. And Hagen, who is much the more steadfast character, is afraid that Gunther will break down and tell where it is. So he tells Kriemhild, I am Gunther's man. If you kill Gunther and show me his head, I will reveal the treasure. So she has Gunther's head cut off, brings it to Hagen and says, tell me where the treasure is. And he says, now I know I'm the only man on earth who knows where it is, and I will not tell you. Do what you will to me. And she says, you have paid me in false coin, but I have now retrieved Siegfried's sword, and she takes that and cuts off his head. But as you can see, he had a certain satisfaction in the situation. Now the second one, uh, I have to say, is a situation which, as regrettably often in Germanic myth, involves treating a woman in a way which we're not now consider acceptable. But Wayland, the uh, smith of the gods, uh, was captured by his enemy, King Nidhard, and they took his, his, uh, uh, his uh, like those hamstring, so he was forced to slave for King Nidhard uh, in Smithcraft. But he lured the king's sons in, killed them, I believe turned their heads into drinking cups, something of that sort. He then lured his daughter in, I think by promising her jewelry, and ravished her and begot a child on her, whereupon he made himself uh, wings from uh, the feathers of birds he had trapped and flew away. Um, and so again, there was a certain grim satisfaction for Wayland, even though he had been a prisoner. The third one uh, refers to uh, the punishment of Loki, as most of you probably know, is the trickster god of the Norse, who finally pulled one too many tricks on the Norse gods. So they uh, imprisoned him in an underground chamber with a serpent dripping flaming venom on him. His faithful wife sat beside him holding a bowl to catch the venom, but every so often the bowl became full and she had to go and uh, empty it and then the venom really fell on Loki and he uh, writhed in agony. But it was prophesied that at Ragnarok at the end of time he would be loosed and join the Ulta and the evil giants in fighting against the gods. So those are the three references. Each, each of them is about someone who some sense was a prisoner, but in some sense was, in a rather grim sense, happy to be so. So it goes, 
Hoard Lord Hyder spied the head of the Lord he loved and roared with laughter. Now no Nibelung's ransom need, bitter are bonds, but joy so born. So Wayland avenging unwailing virgin the thongs of his throughs that long had throttled his more than mortal fighter's might. Bitter are bonds, but joy so born. Loki shall lie till time shall loose. Terror from torment to war with Tor. Bitter as burning flame is burden. Bitter are bonds, but joy so born. I'm Mistress Amelie Danjou. I joined the SCA uh, back in college many, many years ago. One of the most magical moments that I ever experienced in the SCA at Penzik was a long time ago, but it was the year that they came up with an architecture guild and decided to make the old barn into a cathedral. Uh, the Penzik Nonwell Choir had been performing in the barn for a number of years, and someone heard them and saw them one year and said, oh, you need a better space to perform in. And so they set about getting people to help, and they took them all week, and it was very interesting. People were coming by saying, what's going on, what's going on? They used chicken wire and covered it with something, and they made it look like there were big columns. They put up, I think it was fabric, but they had... It was painted to look like stained glass and the light came through it so that they actually created this space, this ambiance that felt like a cathedral. Someone also drew a labyrinth on the floor in the back where there would be a labyrinth in some churches. And for the performance, the, the choir, and, and this was the, probably the largest audience the choir had ever gotten to that point, and that was because a space was created and everyone was very curious. So the barn was pretty much packed, and the choir marched in singing a chant. They went up to the front, which would be like the front of a church. They sang all their pieces, and then they processed out chanting again. And it was completely silent afterwards because everyone was so overcome with emotion because it, it was so immersive. It felt like you had truly been in a medieval cathedral listening to the choir singing. And People in the choir afterwards said, we were worried. We, no one started clapping for such a long time. We thought, didn't they like it? It was that we liked it so much that we couldn't even spoil the silence with any sound. And of course, when people did finally start clapping, it was thunderous applause, and so they had to come back and bow and stuff. But it was just a really magical event of feeling that you had gone back in time because the space had been created properly and, and everything matched, and it was a... It was several different aspects all combined. It wasn't just the music. It wasn't just the architecture that they made. It wasn't, it was all of the things together. And that made it extra special. Now for another poem from Count Jahan. This one written for the Guild of Exotic Dancers. Listen closely because in this clip, he explains briefly the origin of the mid-realm cheer, Hubah. Then we'll have a story about how the SCA came to Oswin's aid when disaster struck. searched what is left of my mind for poems which I composed in the very early days of the Midrealm before I went off to conquer the East. 
Now, uh, last night I recited the Thongdrapa, the poem I wrote in praise of Sir Torvald the Grim, Baron of the Northwoods, uh, for the leather armbands which he made for me with the assistance of the Guild of Exotic Dancers. Um, tonight, I am going to move on to the other occasion on which I was blindfolded by the Guild of Exotic Dancers. Um, now, I'll say a little about the Guild first. In those days, we were blessed with two guilds of exotic dancers, one in Tregency, led by the beauteous Diane Aileen, first and third queen of the Midrealm, and uh, the other uh, in Northwards, led by Morna of Kenneth, the uh, fourth queen of the Midrealm. And um, this is the, the guild, as some of you probably know, which presented its charter to King Ariel, uh, which was written in a remarkable series of double meanings, which I regret I can no longer create, but uh, led someone present, especially viewing the dancers who presented it in their um, traditional garb, uh, to say hubba hubba, to which someone else responded, Huba, Huba, and the Huba Huba was born and has been with us to this day. <laughs> now, um, the um, story I'm going to tell actually began before that historic moment when Morna of Kenneth was only princess of the Midrealm, but she was already head of the Guild of Exotic Dancers. And we happened to be corresponding on other matters, and she mentioned that several of the members of the guild had been stricken with illness. And I replied that I was sorry to hear that the guild members had been afflicted for their sins. Now, the response of the guild was, that at the next feast at which they were about to perform, they came up and blindfolded me so that my eyes should not be defiled by the sight of their <laughs> sinful performance. My response to that was to file a formal appeal with His Majesty Cariadoc of the Bowl, Part Two of the Midrealm, complaining that the guilt had unjustly deprived me of the sight of their beauteous performance. Uh, at this point, Cariadoc asked Mona if she had a response. Her initial reaction was to send a letter to me saying she had always thought me a merry but unfathomable bard, unquote, but she hoped I wasn't really mad. And I assured her, no, this was all in good fun. And she said, very good, let us carry on. And uh, in fact, His Majesty Cariadoc uh, sentenced the guild in recompense to sew for me a set of body robes, the under tunic of which can be seen in the history hall. I regret that in the haste of packing for this event, I couldn't locate the upper robes, but they do exist. Um, and things went on, on with various exchanges until we came to the twelfth night of their reign, uh, which 
was in Tregardsey, and which for reasons much too complicated for me to describe, His Majesty did not attend, but Morna did, and there was a contest for poems in praise of the Queen, uh, which I won with the poem I'm about to recite for you. I may say, at the event, that poem was not read by me. It was read by the court herald, who was a nice man, a fine herald, but not a poet. And uh, the effect was nothing like what I intended. What I had intended is what I'm going to try to recreate for you at this moment. Are we ready? For near a year I found reason to disagree with her whom I am bound to serve with loyalty. Shall I seek sovereignty? Yes! Since this plainly seen, this maid has mastered me. She is indeed my queen. When on times equal ground we meet in speaking free, never a maid I found so swift to answer me. Who may not answered be? Such is her comment keen. This maid has mastered me. She is indeed my queen. When to the pipe shop sound she grants that we shall see such proofs as do abound of beauty's rarity, doomed to disparity, limbs of the maids more mean, all is great charity, she is indeed my queen. This maid has mastered me, as is in all things seen, I am no longer free, she is indeed my queen. <laughs> That it was something like, for near a year I found this man, you know, I mean, it was like that. Uh, so, there we are. I might say, after that, I presented Her Majesty with a large wax candle in the shape of a rose, intended as a courteous reference to the rose, which is, of course, the emblem of the Queen's only Countess Mistress of the Ro uh, Laurel and Mistress of Ro uh, Lady of the Rose, Abrajad al Medina, asked if I had deflowered the Queen, to which my answer is emphatically no. Uh, um, but that's another story. All right. So, there we are. So, I'm Oswin of Baden. And I've been in the SCA officially about six years, but that's kind of the story I'm going to tell. Because I... Uh, my encounters with the SCA go back probably close to 15 years. Um, we've always been in the Midlands area. I've always been in the Champaign, Illinois area, which has gone under two different names, which is why I'm saying it that way. So my first experience was with uh, a festival of maidens maybe 15 years ago. Um, friends of ours had invited us out to, to experience this. They were tangentially with the SCA as well. And I went to, um, this is the old Chancellor's Hotels, for those who remember those days. I went to a Bardic Circle and I felt like I really had embarrassed the heck out of myself. I didn't understand the rules, I didn't understand if what I was presenting and performing was appropriate, and I just really felt out of place. And so my wife and I stepped back and out of that. Um, we did enjoy going to Ren Fairs and we had a renaissance wedding ourselves, and friends of ours years, a few years later had a renaissance wedding as well. So we had clothes, and uh, we decided to start making more appropriate clothes, and needed expertise in that. And we go, who do we know who knows how to do that kind of stuff? 
We've been storing the Shire's equipment in our basement for a number of years at that point. And go, oh yes, the Skadians, they know how to do this stuff. So we reached out back to the Shire of Vermwald. And um, they, of course, accepted us with open arms, gave us what expertise they had. Turns out, though, roughly a month after that, uh, we had a devastating fire that destroyed our house. Um, all our possessions, well, not all, but generally 90% or more of our possessions were destroyed. Um, we barely knew the Shire people at this point. Um, I knew Rowana because her sons and my son went to high school together, but everyone else, we didn't. And the Shire came together for us. They brought us meals. They reached out to the larger Midlands and Midrealm community and had fundraisers for us. These, these people who didn't know us at all, you know, helped us get back on our feet. And that was for me the turning point. Yes, I wanted the expertise, but that's when I knew this was an organization I wanted to be part of. A group that could, we don't know who you are, but someone said, hey, they're a friend and in trouble. And they all come together to help those people out. That's powerful. That's important. It's one of the reasons I do a lot of what I do in the SEA. I volunteer my service. I give gifts. Part of that is persona related. The Anglo-Saxon culture is one of the powerful people give gifts out. And that's how you can tell they're powerful. They have extra stuff. But it also means that's how you cement bonds. I've given to you. You may in the future give back to me and we're going to support each other as a community. And that's what's really important to me and why I continue to do what I do in the SEA. Yeah, sometimes we give ourselves black eyes from some of those stupid things we do. But by and large, we're good folk and we do good things, and I want to see that continue. These are the moments of the SCA when we all come together to aid someone in need that make me proud to be a Skadian and to live in the Midrealm. Now, I've recorded another story from Duke Ilyahu about the mythical court dukes, and then we'll hear our final poem from Count Jahan, a slightly elaborated tale of affection denied, written just before the fourth Midrealm Crown Tournament, held in the Middle Marches all the way back in 1971. One bright summer day during the reign of King Palomar I, two counts made bold to approach his majesty as he sat in state. Your majesty, we have a request, said Count Valerius Pencalvis. And what might that be? asked his majesty suspiciously. We think it would be nifty to be dukes, said Count Ilyahu ben Yitzhak. But neither of us wants to go through another reign again, explained Valerius. So we think that your majesty should make us court dukes in the same way that there are court barons, offered Ilyahu. His majesty Palomar thought for a moment and then said, I'll make a deal with you both. My reign will eventually end and I will be a count. The first one of us who wins the crown tournament after that will name the other two as court dukes. Valerius and Ilyahu, laughing, eagerly agreed. Some time passed and Ilyahu won a crown tournament. While His Excellency Count Valerius was content to remember the earlier conversation and laugh, not so His Excellency Count Palomar. One of the first people to congratulate Prince Ilyahu on his victory in the tournament, Count Palomar said, Congratulations, Your Highness. I look forward to becoming a court duke. On every occasion that followed where Prince Ilyahu and Count Palomar were in the same place, this was repeated. 
And upon Prince Ilyahu's coronation, these requests became more urgent. When will it please your majesty to name me a court duke as we agreed, would ask his excellency. It came to be that a tournament known as the Feast of Fools would be held in the barony of Ribbonstar, during which all manner of foolery was expected. His Majesty Ilyahu let it be known that a royal court would be held that day. The people assembled to witness the court, and once the royalty and their retinue had assembled and the people were quiet, all at once on cue from His Majesty Ilyahu, all of the royal court donned identical funny masks that resembled a pair of spectacles with black bushy eyebrows and mustaches. Then the court herald called forth His Excellency Count Palomar. Count Palomar came forward with a look of dread and knelt before the king. The herald spoke words that at first resembled those of a familiar ceremony, but only at first. As has been known in this realm from ancient times, it is the privilege of the crown to create certain honors and bestow these honors upon worthy subjects at its pleasure. And since you are prow, as on the front of a ship, and stern, as on the back of a ship, and portly, as befits a duke, and starboard, because that's what's left or maybe right, I never can remember those, it pleases us to create you a court duke. All shall know you by this coronet-ish, and accord you the appropriate respect you are due. With that, one of the retinue stepped forward and placed upon Palomar's head a gaudy paper crown, covered with silver-colored metal foil and festooned with large, brightly colored imitation jewels that had been adhered to the crown with an adhesive cloth. The herald continued, Rise, Palomar, Duke of the Court. Duke Palomar rose, bowed to the crown, and turning to the people said, Be careful what you ask for. You may get it. The people laughed and applauded. Then His Majesty Ilyahu and the retinue removed their masks. His Majesty looked around and then spoke. Oh my, we did not have a warranted seneschal present in our retinue as required by law. Unfortunately, this act of our court was not official. The people laughed and applauded. Is there a seneschal present? The kingdom seneschal, Mistress Mira, rose from her seat. Mistress Mira, please join us here that we may continue with a legal court. The seneschal took her place, and the regular business of the royal court continued. However, the unofficial court would be known henceforth as the Nose Glasses Court. More than a year later, Ilyahu had retired from the duties of the crown and had assumed the station of a duke of the realm, and who should now be reigning as king but the self-same Palomar. Duke Ilyahu was competing in a tournament during His Majesty Palomar's reign, all day long, His Majesty's numerous squires approached His Grace Ilyahu. Your Grace, one squire began, you are quite proud today, as on the front of a ship. Thank you, replied His Grace. Another squire approached, Your Grace seems quite stern today, as on the back of a ship. It must be the weather, replied His Grace. Your Grace, began another squire, you are looking quite... Ilyahu looked up at the squire. The squire continued, prosperous. Good save, replied his grace. This continued throughout the day. Ilyahu was eventually the winner of that day's tournament. Later that day, their royal majesties held court. To begin court, the herald called his grace Ilyahu to present himself before their majesties. Witnesses say that his grace approached the throne with some trepidation, especially when His Grace noticed that a seneschal was indeed present on the dais with their majesties.
Then His Majesty Palomar spoke. He recounted the story of how the two counts had asked to become court dukes and of their mutual agreement. His Majesty continued with the story of how he became a court duke at Iliahu's hand. Therefore, continued His Majesty Palomar, it is only right and fitting that His Grace should be properly rewarded for his service. His Majesty indicated with a gesture that the court herald should proceed. The herald spoke. As has been known in this realm from ancient times, it is the privilege of the crown to create certain honors and to bestow these honors upon worthy subjects at its pleasure. And foremost among these honors is that of court, baron, or baroness. His grace immediately recognized the beginning of the ceremony creating a baron of the court. When the herald concluded, his majesty said to the assembled populace, His grace has served the crown and the kingdom in many ways, including as a valued counselor, mediator, and negotiator. We are pleased to recognize him this day. Then his majesty looked at his grace, Iliahu, smiled, and said, Gotcha. Tonight is the historical background of a poem which, in its poetic form, is extremely legendary. I have recited the poem many times since I wrote it in 1971, but I have never discussed the original historical basis of that poem. The historical basis of this poem occurred uh, the, uh, just before the fourth Midrealm Crown Tourney, which was the first one held in Middle Marches. Now, in background, I should say that there was at that time an extraordinarily beautiful and intelligent lady to whom I wrote poems under the poetic name, the Senhal of Murasaki. That was neither her modern name nor her society name. That was the name to whom I wrote her poems. Um, and I think we'll leave it at that. <coughs> but um, she and a number of other people uh, came in early for the tournament and things being, I may say, quite informal in the society in those days, we simply put them up in the basement of the building where we were going to have the feast after the tournament the next day, which is actually the United Christian Fellowship Center at Bowling Green State University. Now, I went home to my cozy home, uh, which is about 15 minutes walk away. What I did not know was that the custodian of the building turned off the heat and went home and left all these people freezing in the basement on a cold autumn night. Now, the next morning, I came into the building, went down the stairs into the basement, and what I saw was the lady Murasaki cuddled in the arms of a, another gentleman whose name I think we'll also omit. Uh, 
And, you know, they had the tournament. I went out in two fights. Andrew of Sodom Rest won, thereby becoming the first uh, Middle Marches man to win a crown tourney. Uh, but uh, afterwards, the Lady Murasaki wrote to me and said, I saw your face when you came down the stairs, and I want to assure you that there was nothing uh, improper between myself and that gentleman. He was just trying to keep me warm on the freezing cold floor. Now, I implicitly believe that. I want to say that I truly implicitly believe that. Uh, both persons involved were very honorable persons. But, as a poet, <laughs> resist the opportunity uh, to write a poem in which the episode was very differently presented. Um, and uh, it is an albed. Now, as some of you may know, an albed is a dawn song. Uh, the usual tradition is that it's a song in which the lover is leaving his lady at dawn after having spent the night with her. However, I called mine the albed of a bitter dawn, and it assumed that the lover was saying farewell to his lady after she had spent the night with somebody else. <laughs> I also assume, instead of making it a crown tournament, that this was a real and terrible war, and one that was in some sense being fought over the lady, like, say, Helen of Troy. So that's the assumed background of the obey, which is as follows. Lady, to wake you from the warming arms of one who loves at least as well as I, were hardly right. Yet still I say arise, for in this dawn where many men shall die, I would see once before I dare those harms, that fair cause wherefore stark and dead shall lie, myself and many more good men besides. Alas, our beds are drowned in war's alarms. The trumpet calls us all our might to try. Though you wake now, you will not meet my eye. For I must go and leave you sleeping here. The Lord and your new love defend you, dear. <laughs> These are the everyday tales of people just like you and I who live in the same SCA that we do, but see it in a different light. The SCA is a collective dream that we all have, and when you listen to this podcast, you help keep it alive, so thank you. Our stories today have come from Count Jahan, Mistress Amelie Danjou, Duke Ilyahu, and the Honorable Lord Oswin Swan. Thanks to all of our contributors, and thank you, friends, for listening to this episode of the MK Storycast. Stay tuned for next month's episode, which will feature some more stories recorded at Baroness Wars, some tales from those who have passed beyond the veil, and maybe some stories about the upcoming enthronement of Seto and Inez, who will be mid-realm sovereigns by the time most of you are hearing this. 
and there will be another Skadian Voices of Color episode soon as well. After that, who knows? Tell us what you think. If you would like to record a story for our show, please visit us by searching for the MK Storycast page on Facebook and send us a message or visit us at mkstorycast.com. If you would like to support our work, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mkstorycast, where you can choose from a variety of tiers to help us in our mission to record the history of the Middle Kingdom and the SCA. Your support helps us by enabling us to travel, record, produce, and host this podcast. Thanks to everyone who supports us as a patron. Our Macenas supporters are the Honorable Lord Oswin Swan and Warder Rashid Al-Sana. All stories in this episode recorded by Andreas Blackwood, except where otherwise noted. Our intro, interstitial, and credits music is Amoroso by Musica Subterranea, all rights reserved. The MK Storycast logo was designed by Lord Gideon Ap Stephen. The MK Storycast is an independent production from a paper muse and is in no way affiliated with or beholden to the Society for Creative Anachronism or any of its ruling bodies. Until we next meet, thank you for listening. See you soon, and don't forget, everyone has a story. Story.